Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The U.S. Federal Reserve is getting rid of it. The European Central Banks talked about it and could go next. Quantitative easing could be falling out of favor. But is that such a bad thing? Did it ever really deliver what it said on the box? And more to the point... If it did do any good, who is it helping? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Professor Steve Keen is joining us today as we look at quantitative easing and ask, does it help the rich or the poor? Many central banks have been injecting money into the economy, buying assets to help stimulate the economy. That's what they reckon. But it's often criticized for helping those who are well off, specifically those who work in the finance sector, rather than helping people at the other end of the spectrum. Well, Vita Constancio, the vice president of the European Central Bank, said in July, this year that he believed QE reduces inequality, at least in the short term. So uh, first, Steve, uh, before we look at that, let's look at the theory behind QE. I mean, you might describe it differently, but I think the theory is that uh, when banks stop giving loans, they stop creating money. So instead, the central bank creates it for them. They create the money and they use this created money to buy government bonds and the like, uh, mortgage-backed securities, that sort of thing. The theory being that people who would have bought those bonds now use their money elsewhere in the economy where it's more related to growth. I think that's basically the idea behind it, isn't it? Pretty much. I mean, the, if, you, if you look at the arguments were given in favour of it, uh, it was uh, firstly that there'd be a wealth effect. So the increase, in the, the, the QE was if you if you drive down, drive um, up the drive up the price and down the yield on riskless assets uh, by buying bonds, government bonds in particular, off off the financial sector, then that means the financial sector no longer has income earning bonds, but it has a large amount of cash that will then use the cash to buy risky assets, shares, et cetera, et cetera. That'll increase the effective wealth of people and out of the wealth effect, they'll spend money and that will stimulate the economy. That was the, the fundamental logic that, uh, that, that Alan Greenspan was heavily promoting at one point. Yeah. And of course, anything Alan, Bond, Alan Greenspan actually says is almost likely to be the opposite of reality. And that was the case because um, the only wealth effect that's been found by researchers inside the Federal Reserve itself was on house prices, not on share prices. Mm. But that was one part of the logic. The other was that by uh, giving them massive amounts of reserves, the bank would lend the reserves out and that would stimulate the economy that way. Now, the latter is garbage, as I've been through many times. The reserves play no role in lending. Uh, but the form of the wealth effect is the about is about the only way that you've actually seen this get back into the into the real economy. And it does not surprise me in the least that Vito thinks something like that because uh, we were talking about executives getting paid far more than they're worth some time ago. That does ring a certain bell with me and Vito. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and of course, the other thing it does is, I mean, that... that, that that money finds its way not just into boosting house prices, it also goes into improving uh, the value of stocks as well, share share prices and and bonds. And uh, we know who holds those stocks and bonds. They are the wealthiest part of society, so they're the yeah. ones who are gaining from it. In fact, there was a Bank of England report. So here's a central bank that 
you know, had some sense on this back in 2012, um, saying just that, that, you know, it was boosting the value of stocks and bonds by 26%, they reckon, and 40% of those gains went to the richest 5% of British households. That's the Bank of England saying that. Yeah, didn't, uh, didn't it, stop them on their QE program, mind you. No, it's dramatically increasing inequality, and the reason it's, it's happening is because you know shares are not owned by the poor. Um, I imagine part of Vito's logic, twisted as it probably has to be, uh, would have been that people own pensions, uh, pension have pensions, pensions have shares, and bang, the money comes back to you through the increase in the value of your pension, that sort of thing. And that is one indirect route, but of course. Uh, because we've made pensions and everything else based on your pay rate, then, of course, that's itself biased to people who are paid large amounts of money versus those who are paid very small amounts of money. So the bias is fundamentally towards people who own assets getting increasing the value of the assets and being better off. And it's massively increased inequality. Yeah. Now, his argument actually is that uh, QE helps lower unemployment. So that money is being used to develop growth. So there's more jobs created. So that helps the poor. And, uh, you know, he uses the argument that is supposedly what we're seeing right now. Well, that's, that's 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 I had to do a bit of work on the, the logic of this for a submission to the uh, the UK Parliamentary Committee on Tre- Treasury some time ago, which unfortunately was disbanded uh, due to the election, hasn't been reformed since. But the basic logic I used was let's look at what actually happened with the first year of QE in the UK, because in that year, roughly $200 billion worth of bonds were bought. Now, the first point to make, and I make this uh, as often as I can now, I'll make it on the podcast too, is that... Did that involve an increase in taxation? Did you have a, a QE tax bill? And the answer, of course, is no. It was just simply double entry bookkeeping that created the money. Two hundred billion pounds worth, which is what more than ten percent of the value of the overall UK economy. So that's that's the extent to which governments can create money when they want to for whatever task they wish to do. In this particular case, case they created it to to buy buy bonds and drive 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 down the yield on bonds to try to boost more investment and that's part of the employment effect that Vito's attempting to talk about yeah but but what actually let's go through the logic of what actually happened with that money itself because if you imagine that the whole 200 billion pounds uh, was that was spent by QE end up as additional money in the accounts of financial institutions they wouldn't otherwise have had and then with that 200 billion of cash rather than bonds, they're therefore required to buy shares because if you, you can't buy bonds, the government's bought all the bonds off you effectively. So you never go buying shares. If that whole 200 billion pounds turns up in driving up the value of shares, then people who own shares have got a 200 billion pound capital gain. What are they likely to do with that capital gain? Well, they might use 10% for consumption. So say maybe 20 billion pounds actually turns up being spent into the economy. The other 180 billion pounds drives up the value of assets even more, whether that's real estate or they're buying more shares themselves. So you pour in 200 billion, you get 20 billion pounds worth of bang for your buck out of it. And if that money turns over one and a half times in the year, you might add 30 billion pounds to demand. And that 30 billion pounds of demand will reduce unemployment by some factor. But that isn't, people talk about a multiplier effect. This is a divider effect. You've poured in 20 billion pounds, 200 billion pounds, you might get 30 billion pounds of GDP bang for your buck out of it. That's a pretty lousy rate of return. Mm. If you really wanted to get decent return, you'd put that whole 200 billion pounds into people's pockets and that would give you 300 billion pounds. You get get a factor of 10 more bang out of this and that's, that's what they're neglecting. Why is this money inflating the price of shares, though? Why would, uh, to the point where, you know, the, 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 the price to earnings ratio starts to increase, why wouldn't more companies be saying, well, look, 
there's this slew of money uh, going around the economy now that wasn't there before. There's banks looking for things to invest. This is the time for us to launch an IPO, for us to uh, to start a new company that's going to employ people and create wealth for the economy that wasn't being created before. Why is that not happening? Because there's such a limited amount of demand these days because people demand aren't is yeah. people aren't spending for two yeah. reasons. They've got too, they've got too much debt. Right. So you have... We're in a, you know, as I've just said, can we avoid another financial crisis? All the countries that had a bubble back in 2008 that burst are now in the aftermath where they're carrying historically high levels of, of private debt in the aftermath to a crisis. And with that high level of debt, they're not willing to borrow any more money. They're not particularly interested in borrowing more money. So credit-based demand has evaporated and the economy is plugging along at a very slow rate. And in that situation, when you look at what you should do with your money, if you've gained money through QE, you have you know, two choices. Do you invest trying to sell goods to people who can't afford to buy them or do you buy your own shares back and drive up the share price even more? Not particularly hard to guess which one has been the, uh, the tactic du jour. Right. But if I'd set up a company, a new company, I was, in, you know, I'm employing people, so I'm paying uh-huh. them. So they've got spending power. Uh, so they would create demand. So it, it does get back to the whole question, doesn't it? Which creates demand? Which creates growth for the economy, supply or demand? Which comes first? Well, demand comes first. Expenditure uh-huh. comes first. And, yeah. and then that, because we don't have, uh, because we have such a huge overhang of, of debt, uh, the private private debt levels being as high as they are, change in debt is small now compared to what it was before the crisis. Like in America's case, uh, the annual change in, in private debt, which is equivalent to the annual level of credit, peaked at 15% of GDP. Uh, it fell down to for minus 6%. It's currently running at about 7% of GDP. But the average for the whole 2000 to 2008 period was about 12% of GDP. We're not going to see that level of demand anymore. Therefore, the economy is stagnating. And we're trying to pump it up by actually adding to one of the symptoms of the financial crisis, which is overinflated asset values. So, mm. if the alternative, though, I mean, you've, you you know, you talked about and you mentioned it before, the idea of uh, people's QE, which we know uh-huh. is politically untenable because we know Kevin Rudd, for example, tried it in Australia, and uh, we know how well that worked for him. He wasn't prime minister much long after that. So, if we d- dismiss that as a as a realistic option in today's political climate. What would happen if the central banks hadn't engaged in QE to try and help boost growth after the global then financial we, then crisis? Then we would have a higher level of unemployment, definitely. Okay, there's no, no, I've got no argument there. The QE, because there is that dribble effect, and I gave the example of the UK, of you know, 20, 200 billion pounds in, maybe 30 billion pounds more GDP. Uh, uh, maintaining that effect over time has has reduced the level of unemployment. And you do see in the data the, the link that I have uh, focused upon between change in debt, i.e. credit, and the unemployment rate is weakened since QEs have come in. And it's clearly because QEs had an effect of meaning you're getting uh, a fall in unemployment, even though the level of credit is smaller than it was before the crisis. So it would cause... Uh, it, it would have been, and there I don't argue with Vito. Yeah, I was going to say, you so have, you're making, you're yeah. helping his argument here. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, but in that case, it's be, the amount of the help is help is not reduced inequality; it's dramatically increased inequality. Um, but it's also reduced unemployment. Well, I mean, what, what we're saying is maybe everyone is the, the divide is just as great. It's just that uh, without it, we'd all be worse off, rich and poor. Yeah, yeah, because what you've got is a, is a capacity of the government to create money. Mm. 
and spend that money into the economy. Now, if it, government realised it had that capability and it could do it for things other than buying shares and driving up the value of the, of the, the assets of the wealthy, uh, then we might get a, a, a more functional economy overall. Now, they won't do that, but they, they will do QE, and there's a couple of reasons for it. One is because it's, it's, it fits within the overall ideology. The other is they've, they've got the mechanisms for it already because uh, you, to, have a, to be able to, to buy bonds, you have to be in, in the business of buying bonds. The financial – I mean, I, I bought government bonds at one stage as a speculation back when I wouldn't agree to ride the housing bubble back in Sydney, which my then wife wanted me to do. It would have been financially far more successful for us if we'd actually ridden the bubble. Um, but – but normally, it's not the average Joe Blow who goes out and buys government bonds. It's a financial institution which will buy those bonds. And consequently, they've got all the links. The people are used to dealing with people working for the various pension funds and insurance companies and so on. So it's very simple. It's just basically ramping up what they normally do because the, the governments, uh, the central banks are always involved when they call open market operations. And they therefore have some targets about the level of demand in the economy. And they're buying and selling bonds all the time. What QE means is they said we're going to be on the buy side to the sum of 200 billion pounds a year. Now, if, if, if the biggest gorilla in the economy says it's going to be on the buy side, no matter what you do to the tune of 200 billion, and it's got the limitless capacity to do it, it's a fairly even bet that share prices are going to rise. But we've, got, we've had QE with low interest rates. I mean, the, the two obviously work hand in hand. Uh, mm. If they'd played more with interest rates, if they'd raised interest rates while continuing QE, I mean, there seems to be this belief, doesn't there, that, well, look, we'll, uh, we'll look at easing off QE now and then perhaps we'll raise interest rates uh, a, a, a bit down the track. What happens if you say, well, let's keep that stimulus, but also let's push up interest rates? What would happen then? What would that do oh, to it, the economy and to, and to this income variation problem? It'll tank because one reason people are actually have a rising level of credit right now uh, is the interest rates are that low, so the actual servicing cost of debt is is, is is trivial, even that level of debt you're taking on is huge. Now, if you start putting up the price of that debt, then you could go for a total crash, and and that's what I I frankly think is going to happen. I expect uh, if, if the economic numbers ever get to the stage where the indicators that the Federal Reserve looks at look healthy enough for them to think they can put rates up, their target for the, for the central bank rate of interest is 4%. Now, we are, you know, what are we, <laughs> 3.5% from that, mm. uh, 3% from that. So they, but if they do that, the, the, the debt servicing cost on the outstanding debt rises dramatically and people will then go from increasing leverage to reducing leverage once more and will go for another slump. So, uh, it, it, you know, you, you're looking at a mess. The Q, if QE wasn't in the mix, then we'd have a higher level of unemployment now than we have, definitely. We'd have lower uh, inequality at the same time and lower share prices. So there are some so sort of distributional positives out of it, but where the economy would be lower down. But we're now dependent upon that QE continuing indefinitely. And this is what I, um, I find uh intriguing and dangerous at the moment because the central banks are talking about reversing QE. Yeah. Now, the reverse QE, all the inflationary uh, impact they've had on share prices also reverses. And as soon as they start doing it, what do you reckon they're going to do? 
die back in and can start QE again. So I think it's stuck on a QE, QE infinity. Yeah, QE infinity and a, a low interest infinity, perhaps, because uh, no one seems to be in a rush to put up interest rates, apart from uh, maybe the Federal Reserve and Canada. Well, there's an interesting case study. I mean, they've got a, a low growth rate of 1.5%, which is less than the UK. And they just put up interest rates back in uh, in July, only to 1%. But there's talk that they might go again. It's been delayed over recent days because they, they want to see what uh, Trump does with NAFTA. But presumably, they're they're going to be up to 1.25% by the end of the year, and they're talking about doing even more next year. Well, they're likely to burst there because Canada's got one of the world's biggest private debt bubbles. And uh, if they burst the growth of the private debt bubble, then that could actually cause it to tank quite dramatically. So they'll be forced to reverse direction again. Um, and this is what intrigued me. We've got people making decisions about how to manage the economy who have a model of the economy that's false. And uh, it's a bit like you've got a you know, captain on the deck of the Titanic thinking that icebergs are, are nice little things that, uh, that boost your ship speed when you go through them. So let's go ahead for the next iceberg. Um, I'm afraid that's an iceberg. So, well, we'll watch that. We've talked about that in the past that that is, uh, you know, and it's in your book, of course, one to, one to watch along with Australia. So how, does, mm. how can QE help the poor then? How can we use QE in a positive way? Can we, for example, say, well, we are going to create this money, but we're going to stipulate how it's used. That's what I would like to do. I mean, and, and the one, one thing I'll say in favour of QE, and this is why I hammer the point about did, did you have a QE tax bill? Um, the fact that the government did it simply by double-entry bookkeeping shows it can be done by double-entry bookkeeping. Yeah. And, you know, there's no nobody's paid a QE tax, but QE in England has been running at you know, 200 billion pounds a year for, you know, X, X many years. That's a huge amount of money creation capability. Why not use the same money creation capability to cancel private debt? And it, it does at least set the precedent that I can say we're, we're doing it now. Let's just do it differently. And potentially, uh, and this is again where the Bank of England is perhaps ahead of the game here, uh, the idea of digital currencies, which would be centered at the Bank of England, would give them a, 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 a institutional structure to which they could actually do QE to the public rather than doing QE to the financial sector. Is it going to happen? I mean, how many years down the track of this uh, constant uh, QE before that's realized, do you think? Uh, I think potentially never, frankly, uh, but I'll continue arguing for it. What I think is more likely to happen is uh, uh, we're going to see final realisation of the scale of climate change we're into, and then at that point there'll be money thrown at uh, attempting to do dramatic, uh, dramatically re- reduce our carbon footprint, and when you do that, that will uh, deflate the level of private debt in the same way that fighting the Nazis did back during the Second World War. Yeah, because, so because, I, I because what you're saying is, yeah, what you're saying is that they were using that money to employ people. They were building stuff rather than uh, just feeding the, uh, the the finance yeah. sector. Yeah, and that that makes perfect sense. So I wonder yeah. why why wouldn't that happen? Maybe maybe it will. Maybe once we realise that we do need QE uh, as the uh, uh, the various central banks try and get rid of it and discover that we're still not going anywhere, maybe they'll try that approach. We'll see. Well, we can but hope can't we uh steve great to talk we'll talk to you again soon okay mate bye one interesting thing about the u.s fed uh, now saying that they're going to ease off on their qe program was that they believe that inflation is now under control and in fact uh, you know the economy could overheat if they don't pull back on it even though inflation has been sliding in the u.s lately uh, they expect it to rise because they're so close to full employment but janet yellen did say it was a mystery that uh, that hadn't happened already a mystery so uh, inflation is it making a comeback or has janet yellen got a long wait we'll look at that next time on the debunking economics podcast is inflation making a comeback with professor steve keen i'm phil dobby we'll see you back here soon 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.